0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the How You Say It podcast with myself, Graham Colgower. This week's episode is an absolute cracker. A couple of weeks ago, I caught up with Michael Bockle. Michael is a freelance digital marketing, sports marketing consultant who uh, formerly worked as head of digital marketing for um, the Scottish Football Association. As a football fan myself, I've followed Michael for a good number of years on Twitter. He has a very good Twitter account where he uh, breaks down marketing quirks within football, mainly Scottish football. He also has his own uh, sports marketing uh, newsletter where you'll find a link for that and for his Twitter account in the the write-up for this episode. But, I mean, this this is this is great as a scotland fan as a scottish football fan i really really enjoyed this and please don't feel that you have to be a football fan to 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 take anything away from this episode because a lot of the things that michael talks about is applicable in any kind of environment if you're in sports marketing uh, you're in normal marketing digital marketing or anything like that michael worked for the scottish football association and uh, i think the digital marketing campaigns that you see when you see videos going out on Twitter, on YouTube, on Facebook, on uh, Instagram, all these kind of things. Somebody is responsible for putting these together. The creative mindset is fantastic for some of these and some of the campaigns were extremely memorable. But when in this we talk a little bit about the challenges that come with relying on results effectively when you are particularly working for the Scottish Football Association at the time period that Michael was working for them it was a challenge. And one of the biggest challenges was how do you engage a nation? How do you get a nation to believe, particularly when it's been so long since Scotland had ever made it to a world cup or a European championships had been so many disappointments and so many people had become disengaged with the national football team. So when Michael took over th- in 2016, it wasn't an enjoyable period of time. And in that time, Michael was also head of digital uh, marketing and communications in, the, in a period when Scotland probably suffered its worst result losing away to Kazakhstan we talk all about how Michael had to deal with that from that point of view having obviously one foot in the camp working for the Football Association and another foot in the camp being a football and a Scotland supporter which he has been all of his life to go from that into then Scotland qualifying for their first tournament in 2020 since 1998 but of course it was during a global pandemic So the challenges around not just Scotland, but all football clubs, sports clubs, and businesses on engaging with their audience during a global pandemic. What did we learn? What did we do? And what have we done since? That's something that's really, really important. Um, So yeah. Michael is a fascinating guy, a really, really insightful person. If sports marketing's your thing, you'll love this. If marketing communication's your thing, you'll love this. Lots and lots of lessons to to be learned from Michael, who also now is, what you know, it's not just football. He's worked for the Open, uh, golf, and also has been working for um, the Glasgow Comedy Festival as well. So not just football uh, that Michael's involved in. It's all sorts, and, and I find... I found this conversation absolutely fascinating and very, very insightful. So hope you enjoy. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. We're well over a thousand listeners that are downloads now. So thank you so much for everybody who's downloaded the podcast. Please, 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 if you could pass it on to other people, let other people know, share it with your friends, like, subscribe, all these kind of things. It would be hugely beneficial for me, but also it just means that I can get more guests coming on so we can I can interview them and we can really glean some more little nuggets of information from people who are top top communicators so thank you so much and as I say if you want to find any more information about Michael you will find it in the uh, in the write-up for this episode so this is Michael Buckle, who is the sports marketing consultant hope you enjoy thank you i'm joined with sports marketing consultant michael bockle michael how are you i'm good graham i'm good thanks for having me on how are you i'm very well thanks it's uh it's great to to, to chat i i i was saying to you just before we started recording that i've been following your twitter threads and twi- uh, tweets and everything like that for for a good number of years now um for those listening who don't know who michael is uh you know you've been involved in sports marketing for for quite some time now and you, you sort of focus a lot on sort of Scottish football as well as other sports as well
1: yeah i do yeah i worked uh, a number of years at the, the Scottish football association um with, with the scotland national team scottish captain, and across all the sort of things that everybody kind of forgets that a government body does with it, um, you know growing the game in, in the scotland and yeah you know i'd always had an interest in in sports market and football market and it kind of took a long way to get into Football is a full time job at mm. that uh, moment in time, and then uh, more recently um, went out and freelance and, and did my own thing and worked with with different clients across it. But yeah, as you say, you know I've always had uh, an interest in sports marketing and really Scottish football and just wanting sounds a bit wanky <laughs> if truth be told. <laughs> but just betting <laughs> Scottish football has always been sort of close to my heart in terms yeah. of when I was at the Scottish FA and now subsequently since I've left that uh, you know things like. The, the Twitter threads that you mentioned where I've been went out and reviewed people's email activity uh, or clubs email activity and some of the other f- sort of things they might be doing memberships or, you know, even silly things like Giphy accounts and stuff yeah. like that. And I subsequently, you know, got my own sports marketing newsletter, which as you say, it's got a bit of a Scottish slant as well. It's a kind of a bit of a follow up from, um again, when I was at the Scottish FA myself and Chris Sampson, um, who, who's who got a blog on, on um, Scottish sports market and we ran a podcast mm. and that was through the Scottish FA and that was really uh, the Scottish Football Marketing Podcast. We did 60 episodes and again, you know, that was something that wasn't part of a job remit, but it was something that we were both passionate about. Both wanted to see if we could bring on guests and offer advice to help Scottish clubs at all levels of the game. Mm. And I think that was always something that came. we wanted to come, come through was that we were just want any club to to be able to to better what they were doing and better the game and for the ultimate aim of you know for the fans um, at the end of the day. So yeah, it's one that I I, I keep my keep my toes in the water so to speak um, when it comes to it and uh, yeah give me a sort of bone with it and i'll i'll
0: I'll run with it brilliant i mean when you were growing up then you know every most most young lads are wanting to play football and they're wanting to get involved was that a path that you wanted to get involved in or did you always look at it from the the other side of the, the business and sport side of things
1: Oh no, don't don't get me wrong, at a young age I wanted to play football and was playing football just about every day as you Mm. you could and you wanted to, you you harboured dreams as an eight year old of being a a professional footballer and then realistically by the time you are about 12 realize you you're not actually that good (laughs) to to get to that level, especially for the north of Scotland. So um, yeah, no, look, I always wanted, uh, always loved playing football when I was younger um, and then just obviously, as you grow older and you start having a pick career-wise and stuff like that, I went into marketing. And, you know, I think when I started, at, when I was at university, and I don't like giving uh, too many spoilers with my age, or like I'm in my late 30s now. So you're talking about I went to university in 2002 or started mm-hmm. university in 2002. The whole concept of sports marketing was a bit, you know, wasn't known widely yeah. um, and if it was you know the opportunities were so limited um, and and so you know I was when I was at university I was looking at it going you know it's, it's advertising and create being creative in those agencies that that's where I want to uh, uh, go into ironically I ended up in SEO to start my career right. which is the complete opposite end of <laughs> or it was at the time um, when you start looking at how to rank on Google. But, you know that that's where it was and but that passion and, and willing want to, to be able to work in sport and um, from mm. from a marketing point of view was there and um, from the very early stages of, of
0: my career yeah i mean it's interesting that you talk about how far sports marketing in the uk and in scotland in particular has come you know it wasn't actually that long ago where football clubs weren't didn't have a twitter presence or online presence very much at all and it was all i mean when you look at some of the sports particularly you know you go down what some of the mainstream sports like football it's the the old-fashioned traditions are still very much there in the sense that you know as long as people are coming through the gates and paying their money it doesn't really matter how we're getting our message out whereas now i mean it's it's everywhere isn't it when you were when you were coming through was there, Did you constantly look at Scotland, or did you look at other countries and other sports and take examples and, and and case studies from them and how they were doing it and what what could be done and transferred into Scottish football and other sports in Scotland?
1: Yeah, I think obviously you look at what's on your doorstep first, and, and it, this is no slight on on what Scottish football w- w- was happening, but there wasn't much happening, mm. you know, in the, in the early noughties. Out with obviously the the big clubs and the, the big sports. So wh- I ended up spending three years in Australia um, uh, around about 2012 to t- 2015. And um, had, that's when, you know, my eyes were opened far more yeah. to to what's possible and, and, and what's out there. And you started to see, you know, I'm a big podcast fan, <laughs> which is handy for being on something like this. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was interesting to um, start listening to Podcasts like Sports Geek, and mm-hmm. one or two others that we're, were starting marketing podcasts that were starting to come out that were talking about different things. And, you know, you start when I was over there, I saw a lot of what well, NRL, AFL um, were doing, Cricket Australia, the big, with the big bash league, for example. And then you you start going, right, well, what that, that's Australia, what's happening in America? And you look at, well, all the sort of big sports over mm-hmm. there, but even, you know, MLS, who are. Who are still are, but at the time was more than others were, were having fight for, you know, fans and eyeballs and, and what they were doing. Then that's not even touching on the college sports. But by that point, you know, you start looking at what had been happening back home mm-hmm. and, then, you know, within the, the Premier League as a football fan down south. And you start, he starts on the shoots of more things. And as you say, you know, the social media, I think highlighted a lot more because it was easier to see what other clubs started doing. Yeah. You know, yeah, you could go into a club's websites and stuff like that. But if you weren't hearing directly from a club, which why would you if you were uh, you know, somebody living in the north of Scotland like I was and who maybe followed Liverpool when I was at in, in secondary school, mm-hmm. Liverpool weren't speaking directly to me nowadays. I would I wouldn't be right across it all you know social media I'd probably be receiving emails and no doubt you know looking back on me as a you know 11 year old who had liverpool strips and and various other things you know I'd be like well I want to be a member of of all and that sort of thing you know this sounds ridiculous but I remember being a 7 or 8 year old or something and one of my family members had signed me up to it was the World Snooker fan club Right. You know, I was getting letters from like Stephen Hendry. Um, <laughs> you know, that was the height of it. Yeah. You know, you, you watched football on the TV, and, you know, I was fortunate to go through the age of Football Italia on mm-hmm. Channel 4. And, um, you know, Sky had the Premier League, it had been a breakaway for, for them, but it wasn't, the market wasn't as saturated as it is now. And, you know, looking at, the opportunities then that have come that other clubs and you know r- long way are coming round about to say, you know, people are now more aware of yeah. what everybody else is doing. They never were really before, and now they are, and there's no hiding place, especially at the top end of, of, of sport, yeah. the sports marketing. So I think that has spurred each other on, and, and not that, you know, so I think we we were touching on stuff before, but you know, a club in the north of Scotland's not competing. With a club in the the south of Scotland no. or the, the Central Belt, when it comes to marketing and um, attracting people, you know, and, and you, people will argue well, and you could I, I contradict myself a little bit as well as they kind of are in terms of, you know, you you most people are competing with the old firm to get their fans um, at yeah. a young age, which is a whole different story, and um, but you know, um, uh, Aberdeen mm-hmm. and. You know hibs are not competing for the same fact for example so there, there's opportunities there that you go that knowledge sharing and, and seeing what everyone's doing and that, that does happen within scottish football which is great and um, but that knowledge sharing, then you know you look up you just have to look to the states you have to look, you can look yeah. down south australia and you just see the range of different stuff that's going on and the sizes of the teams out there, and you can they mm. naturally gone with a bit of envy um, if you if you're a, a, a small club in Scotland or, or elsewhere. But you know, it's there, there's so much knowledge and, and learning that can be done now that just wasn't there before.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you talk about like the, the the small young lad that's in the north of Scotland and and how can he be feeling or, or young girl as well potentially up you know anywhere in, in in any part of the world now. You know, we're just looking at it when you were growing up in the UK. But the globalization of it all through social media, but it, you know, it just boils down to the connection and engagement, isn't it? And it's how clubs can do that. But then you're talking about the massive marketplace of the English Premier League or or other things like that. But you also do work with a small small Nairn County in a small town, with ten thousand people up yeah. in up in the up in the north of Scotland, and. But the fundamentals can remain the same can't they? I mean at the end of the day it it doesn't matter whether it's Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City that are connecting and engaging with supporters in China, Hong Kong, Bangalore or wherever it is. It it still comes down to how you can connect and engage and create that community uh, of, of, of supporters.
1: No, 100%, it's a bit ironic. I've kind of gone a bit full circle um, in terms of, and I volunteer at my hometown club, which is a Highland (laughs) League club, um, after being paid to to do it with Scotland and that. But yeah, look, I've carried the same principles that I had at Scotland uh, national team through to to Nairn County. And, And that is, you know, what do fans want? They want to feel valued. They want to be communicated with properly. They want to have a good experience. Uh, they don't want to just be treated like you're a cash cow and, and mm-hmm. you, you're just there to, you know, you're always going to be there. You come on a Saturday, we don't really need to do anything around uh, uh, because you're going to be there, and, and that's not the case. And it's definitely something, you know, having done stuff with New county now for, for the last year or so that it's going, well, what can we improve um, to make people feel valued? What can we do to, to improve the communication side? So, you know, you look at, okay, Social media is an obvious one where you can you can get the information out there very quickly and um, and that's that's great you know but we've have looked at doing other stuff with, with the club as well and, and that's in, you know building an email database that wasn't there before yeah. so you know we're not talking the same numbers as what uh Man United who've got millions of people in a database have uh, compared to to what we've got in the hundreds but you know it's another form of direct communication we started uh, uh, or we continue, sorry, we developed a, uh, a podcast that was there before, and, you know, I brought on the chairman and, and people like the manager, and again, having that audio form of, of communication uh, w- with people, you know, utilising the website more, just finding ways to to get pe- make people feel part of it, you know, there's, there's a lot, actually, we're in a fortunate position, we, we've done a lot within the community in the last year as well, and um, we're, we're coupled with obviously it's football what happens on the pitch also helps and, and matters Um, and and you know the, the change of manager this year and mm. you know there's a feel good factor around the club and that helps because then that also helps you carry your message a lot easier as well because people are less resistant because they want to they're optimistic they're hopeful and stuff like that so yeah the, a lot of the same fundamentals and, and principles it's just on a smaller scale um, and I think that's what you know it does get lost a little bit um, within football is that it's just easy to to keep going because you know there's a game of football you know there's going to be fans there and that, that value just doesn't the, the it's not for a lack of trying sometimes mm-hmm. it's just a lack of you know understanding from others or investment or resource or time or whatever it may be.
0: I mean, is there a danger that I don't know, have you come across it where sports clubs um, they think they know what their supporters want? rather than actually reaching out and finding out what their supporters want?
1: Yeah, there's a, there's always an assumption. Um, and I think that is probably... Um, there, there's two elements to it. There's an assumption that they know what they want mm-hmm. um, and there's assumption that fans know everything that the club knows. Um, so when it comes to, you know, we, we put out a one tweet about that. It's like, oh, well... Not everybody's on Twitter. Not everybody sees that single tweet. And, you know, you see it a lot with, you know, people like Mark Bradley from the Fan Experience Company, for example, somebody I've spoke to uh, on numerous occasions that so big into it. You know, th- the research mm-hmm. and insights within football and sport that are, in the specialism, has grown massively. Yeah. Agencies like Two Circles um, who are data-driven it's understanding, you know, behaviours. And it's not just what people say, because you'll know yourself, you know, people fill in surveys and they say some one thing and actually do comp- something completely different. So, yeah, you know, again, if you look at what things I've taken from Scotland and, and applied to their County, surveys were a regular part of, of my time in Scotland. I'm sure they still are for, for the team that are there. You know, we do an annual survey in New county. County. Again, it's understanding what people, giving people a chance to have a say. Mm. Um, again, it goes back to that being feeling valued because the people are getting a platform to get to, to send their egg, uh, put their voice out, and you're seeing far more. Again, just if I keep it on a Scottish football focus, you know you're seeing far more Scottish clubs doing big, big scale surveys. Hibs uh, have done one recent uh, in the last sort twelve months, eighteen months. You know, clubs at all levels. Um, do them regularly and I think the value and insight that you can take from that as well and it it, it sparks ideas you you start seeing behaviours, as I said you've got to marry it up with the different data that you might have available um, but it is a a valuable tool um, for a multitude of
0: reasons, not
1: just the the information
0: you get. Do Do you think football is behind the curve at the moment with how they can actually get the fan experience better you look at the way some supporters are treated and and you look at some of the, even, you know, I look sometimes at, the we're seeing a lot more now on Twitter and things about the food that you get served at football grounds. Traditionally, it was a pie and a bovril. And don't get me wrong, there are people out there who enjoy the traditional (laughs) pie and bovril at a game of football. But yet now we're seeing all these different accounts, footy foods and stuff like this coming up and you're seeing some of the food that's on. And to a degree, some people turn their nose up. I think, was it not? When Tottenham opened their new stadium, there was like yeah, a cheese yeah. and wine bar or something like this, or cheese cheese and wine tastings and things going on. Yeah, but that just opens up to a new market, and it's just a, it's just changing the the concept of what the football fan should expect when they go into the terraces. So, how difficult is that to get into such a a sort of what's a slow moving traditional organization to try and get up to the pace so that you can attract more people to? To come to the grounds in the games.
1: Yeah, no, I think you, you, you touched on a couple of interesting things there. The, there's just that expectation, and football's always been like that, and mm-hmm. the people come, and, and, and that's it. And you do see it that the smarter clubs out there have tried to get ahead of that. And it's funny because when you take an average football fan or an average season ticket holder? I remember when I worked at the Scottish FA, I think the research would say it's, a, it's something like a forty-four-year-old white man, right. right? Which, you know, <laughs> worryingly, I'm, I'm catching up to that uh, in a in, in a not so distant <laughs> future. Um, but you know, you look at what do they expect when they go to a game of football, and and for certain people, they just want to go in. They just like it sterile. They just like it. that They're going to football and whatever else. But you mentioned there about, you know, different audiences. And, you know, you can't rely. Yes, you've got to cater to your core, your core fan. There's no getting away from that. But you also have to understand that clubs need to try different things. And I think clubs are scared a little bit. You know, there's there's two elements to it. There's that scare scared to put the, the investment in, the, the money in, because if it doesn't pay off, then it's wasted money which is valuable for a yeah. lot of clubs um, different when you're at a big level, when you go down south, you go to a club in the Premier League Championship, down to League 1, League 2 these clubs have got fan zones outside the grounds now they, they, they're realised, you know they look at the Germans, look at what's happening in, in America and, and, and other places and and having people there for longer, having a good time and spending more money is actually good business. Um, whereas, you know, again, in Scotland, it's hard because the willingness to, to invest is difficult when money is tight and you have to account for every penny and you're looking for an ROI on every pound that's spent in, uh, put in. Um, and then also... They're scared of trying something new because yeah. you're going to get a they're scared of what people will say on twitter you know they're scared of you know why are we trying all this nonsense americanizing our game or whatever it is but actually it's, it's not about that it's about making as you say attracting different audiences the family one is a big thing i think you know I, I, if I touch back on, on Mark Bradley and the fan experience company, the, the work that they've done with the EFL
0: mm.
1: was a big thing around they just decided, that, well, they didn't just decide, obviously there was there was a reason for it, but you know, they had to make more of a focus on, on families and, and attracting families to the game, developed the family excellence awards. And you look at the attendances that are happening at the EFL have continually been on the rise. And that's because the hard work has been going in to attract different audiences and improving that fan experience. You know, yes, your your hardcore or your core fan that's gonna go home and away um has the same seat, wants their pie, once their bovel, doesn't matter that the, the toilets are a bit shoddy, yeah. you know. They're 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 there and, and that's fine. But any club worth their salt at the moment in time need to be looking at the wider picture and, and yeah. you, you're seeing it a lot more you see what aberdeen are doing for example with the red shed and um all the sort of work they're doing with fan zones hips have done they've looked at the whole hospitality and revamped all that because he's seen that as a big opportunity rangers have got Edmondson house selic have, have done various things um that around the ground and you know with, within the stadium and and you can work your way down um within Scotland it's not as common as it is within England and, and other places but there is a the realization that that has to happen um if you want to to keep pushing your season tickets and getting new people on board and new fans and you know you could go into the whole thing about how you know the whole industry is a bit nervous about Gen Z and and the yeah. ones that come after them about their attention spans you know and and are they there for 90 minute football games and, and whatever else so the only way to do that is to get them engaged at a young age and get them along to a live a live thing i've got uh, mates that take kids to uh the scotland games now they're, they're like seven and eight yeah. i mean they, they've got it good i don't think they realize that this is not what it's always been like <laughs> um but they're there and they're loving loving it at the moment in time because they're getting there to experience it you know they're getting that. Face paints and the uh, experience before, and then they're in the stadium. There's a sing along, and there's whatever else. You know, don't get me wrong. And I'm sure the guys at Scotland would say that there's probably still more that they want to be able to do. Yeah. And again, you know, budgets dictate a lot, a lot of what it is. But there's that. The smart clubs are looking at that going right. We need to be doing far more here to attract different audiences.
0: Yeah, well, I do want to come back to your time at Scotland actually to, to talk a bit about that. But before, you know, I think it was Bill Shankley who famously said, you know, football without fans is nothing. But then in March 2020, uh, football clubs around the world basically uh, stopped having supporters coming through. Did that force a lot of football clubs into having to really do more to try and engage with their supporters because they just knew? that the core that would normally come down on a Saturday or a Sunday or whenever it was to watch them, they weren't going to be there. So there had to be something done because, you know, I can remember when it was when it was happening, the season ticket sales, and you've got people going, am I going to buy a season ticket? And it, sometimes we were told that we'll, it's only going to be the first quarter of the season, then we'll be back in, and all this kind of stuff. So did that almost really just inject something into football clubs to go, right, well, if you don't move now, you're just going to get left behind completely. Yeah, I think it was an eye opener for everybody, really. I think it was,
1: it was a couple of elements to it that was the unknown. So he yeah. was just like, what am I going to do? But I think it then made a lot of people sit up and, and pay attention to what have they actually got in place, you know? And and for some, it sped up projects, yeah. you know? It was like, actually, you know, we've always talked about being more digital or doing more of our channels or doing more of our content. And you saw a lot of them have to go right we need to go and do more there, you know you saw the um, innovations in, in terms of you know how to get in more revenue um, d- during a time when you don't have any fans in the stadium you know I don't think if anybody had said to me what four years ago that oh by the way one of the things you're going to have to do is sell cardboard cutouts <laughs> of uh, people that are going to sit in a, a stand for a football match Yeah, um, you'd just be looking at them going oh, what are you on about you know and, you know, all the sort of innovative schemes around, um, you know, ticket buying tickets that, that weren't there um, for, for games or, you know, as you said, people were buying season tickets on blind faith. Yeah. Blind, like, they, they weren't sure. And that just goes to show the power of football, yeah. you know, and, and, and what it means to so many people. But one of the big things it did do was expedite people going, how do we do pay per you, football? you know yeah. um for, from being at the very top level down to Highland League and below yeah you, the, all of a sudden everybody was streaming football mm. which you never I've, I've watched more new county games on pay-per-view <laughs> than I thought was ever going to be possible in my lifetime yeah um and that all happened in a short space of time because it just wasn't you know pe- they had to look at different ways of engaging fans and, and, and that just sometimes it's moments like this when you are really restricted by what you can do breeds the greatest creativity and um, because you you, you working within a
0: set parameters you know what you can't do so you need to figure out what you can do yeah and for, for guys like yourself that was what I was going to actually lead on to is for someone like yourself who's in a creative industry and you've got uh, 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 are you thriving on that you know at the time when you're, you're suddenly looking at this going right how can we get how can we get this done, and 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 what can we be doing? It and and was that was at a time where it's obviously difficult for a lot of people because you were cramped in your spare rooms trying to get Wi Fi <laughs> and uh, home school or anything like that. But but for people who were in that innovative, creative industries, it was a time to really get on with stuff. And and you know, there, as you said, there are still things in place now that were born out of the creativity and innovation of people through that that period of time.
1: No, 100%. I mean, I was juggling, a, a, I don't know, I've got a wee girl, she was three months old when we went into the lockdown and uh, I didn't get out, And it was, you know, it was one of those ones, you, you start looking at and you go, what the bloody hell are we going to do here? Mm-hmm. You know, we were meant to be preparing for a, um, it was a playoff semi-final against Israel, actually. We, I remember being in the office a couple of weeks before you know, everything really officially got shut down and we're like, ah, is this game going to go on? And we're like, ah, yeah, we'll be on, don't worry. And then it was like, ah, right, is this game going to be on? Is there going to be any fans in there? What do we do with refans? And then all of a sudden the game, no football's on. And, you know, you take that moment and you go, right, what's going on? <laughs> you know, what, what are we going to do? And it goes, as I said, it was a bit of the unknown because you're yeah. going, how long is this going to be for? Right, everybody's going to be in the house for three weeks. Let's just... You know, what we did was going, right, what have we sitting on at the moment in time that we could do? You know, we we were looking at, we've got a big archive um, of Scotland matches, Scottish Cup matches. um, And funny enough, we, you know, it's just how funny some things in in timing wise work out is that we had just gone through a process of digitising a lot of videotapes and (laughs) uh, DVDs and all that sort of stuff. We found the museum and, and we had across Hamden and stuff like that. So we were like, right, we're sitting on that. What we could do is we could just do live matches or as live matches. Yeah. So every night, we were, actually we were doing two a day. And looking back, I was like, oh, that was a bit overkill. <laughs> but remember. people were just sitting, remember, like, you know, yeah. look, looking for stuff to do. And, you know, we ended up doing a two massive online Scottish football quizzes. Yeah. You know, hosted by Ray Bradshaw from his bedroom. So we managed to get camera equipment into his bed, uh, in like left outside his flat, he goes in has to like, sanitize <laughs> it all, set set it all up with instructions from our production company over the phone, wow. then using a third party platform for quizzing, <laughs> make it all work. You know everybody's coming in, and you know got you got had people like Richard Gordon of the uh, BBC Radio Scotland competing against the average fan and everybody just sitting at home doing Scottish football. You know, it did allow you to go, right, looking back at the time, you know, it was a weird time and I don't know if enjoyable is the right word for it because you were just scared of the unknown and, and, and everything else that went with it. But looking back on it, you're like, wow, yeah, the brain was was going in different ways. I remember, you know, sitting down with um our, our commercial director at the time, we were talking about Scottish Cap, and, you know, as I sitting down, I was obviously over a Zoom call, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, talking about, you know, how is it possible to centralise all the streaming for Scottish Cap? You know, could we do it? You know, and you start looking into all this sort of stuff and having these conversations and working out, what's your average attendances at Scottish Cup game at whatever club and whatever level it is? And you're talking rounds one to to three at a time and going, right, well, do you get all them? How many do you estimate you're going to get on a stream? Um, What would you charge it at? So we end up talking to, to some tech suppliers that clubs could film themselves on their mobile phones. And yeah, you know, y- your brain it never came to anything, unfortunately. But, you know, it was a, a time for going, you know, this is a crazy time that needs some crazy solutions.
0: And from, uh, a, it, 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 sorry, from uh, a marketing point of view, sorry, I, I mean, when there's no option off the table, that suddenly makes it, yeah. you know, just get And And the thing is, normally, and sorry to interrupt you there, but I just, when you have got the sort of traditional, oh, that'll never work because. You, the, 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 what's the alternative here then you're, you're yeah. literally just saying well if we don't do that then that that, that just doesn't happen then
1: yeah it takes bravery uh, yeah. and, and that point is you know you are having to come up with the bold and, and, and wonderful ideas and going you've got a short period of time to stress test that um, make the numbers work or not as a, a, as a case may be at some and I think that's where you look back and you know there's a million different reasons why it never happened but I would have loved to have seen the SPFL or, or Scottish football have a centralised streaming yeah. platform. I think yeah. it was an opportunity with all the pay-per-view that was going on. Clubs didn't want it, you know, So, or not all clubs wanted it. I think there was a number out there that did, but not all clubs yeah. wanted. it. So, and you've got a short space of time, so it's difficult to make something like that work. But, you know, I think it was an opportunity that could have changed a lot of stuff going forward. It changed some stuff, don't get me wrong, but, you know, big, big opportunities. But yeah, you know, the the fundamental thing of of you go and, you know, you have to be bold, you have to be brave. Um, And you see that it goes back to when we were talking about fan experience and and doing different things, you know, introducing different foods or, 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 or different sort of thing. It's that bravery that sometimes when life's gone back to normal you just kind of go back into the shell a little bit worried about what the the negative um potential backlash or 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 pr
0: of the of, of taking a risk sometimes that um sometimes is good to do absolutely i mean i think it is interesting that we have kind of gone back into the safety shell but i think that it's easier like you mentioned about ray bradshaw sitting in his own bedroom doing this but everybody was doing that, so it kind yeah. of it kind of made it more acceptable. It's like, well, it doesn't matter who you are; you're you're in the exact. And I think when everybody was in the exact same circumstances, there yeah. was no airs and graces about it, was there? Because people couldn't no. go like, "Oh, well, I can't believe that he's only going to sit in his bedroom and deliver this when We knew there was nothing else. I, I'm interested to find out when did you join the Scottish Football Association um, to start working so, with the Scottish football the national teams?
1: Yeah, so I joined july 2016 so just to put that into perspective euro 2016 had happened just a month before um where england wales northern yeah. ireland republic ireland Aye. were all there and there's <laughs> us after you know another painful campaign and uh so yeah things were, were pretty low and i remember coming in i've been a scotland fan all my days sort of thing scotland sports club member yeah um for for about eight or nine years previous to, to going into that role. And I remember, you know, going that right, it can't get any worse. You know, this this is low. We we've got a World Cup campaign, you know, we've got a good opportunity to go in. The the marketing team, the previous marketing team had already put in a um marketing campaign and put it all there. And it was this time and I was like a bold but all right, we're going with it. And then um, you know, you you do a lot of stuff. We we got some wild PR off uh, changing the goal music for, from doing a vote and bits and pieces come in as, as the goal music at the time mm. and you know you do a bit with George Bowie at the at Hamden ahead of the Lithuania game. So you know and you and and brilliant. You know we first game of the campaign we are away at Malta. We went five one. This that. is yeah. this could this could be it. You know this could be <laughs> the campaign. And then you know you you welcome Lithuania to to Hamden and you go. Oh, you know, we've had some close games with Lithuania at home in the past, but we've always beat them. And then it takes a injury time uh, header from uh, or, or finish from James McArthur to um, get us a, a one roll drop with, with Lithuania. And then you go away to Slovakia, lose 3-0, England 3-0 and you're staring down the face of crowds of 15,000 at Hampton yeah. in March. So when I thought things couldn't get any lower, they most definitely
0: did yeah yeah i mean that that i mean 1998 the last time scotland had qualified for a for a world cup for any sort of tournament and anything like that and we just went through uh, similar to yourself a scotland supporter followed them home and away and uh got the battle scars to show, to show it from some yeah. some horrible trips and i mean from a camp, marketing campaign's point of view it must be so difficult to try and raise the hopes and expectations again and yeah. again and again, after having to go to that well so many times yeah. and try and convince a whole nation that it's going to be better this time yeah. and then you've got such a small in a, in a in a you know if people are listening who maybe aren't familiar with the campaign qualification it's it's a, it's the finest of margins where you know I mean I can remember that day when we drew with Lithuania and that effectively we knew then. That never we're gonna have to we're gonna have to go someplace to pull a rabbit out the hat if we've got any yeah. chance of getting back on track with this yeah. campaign. Yeah. So um, when it, when when you have all that work put in place to build up to it, and then it goes so badly. I mean, oh, I was in Kazakhstan. For goodness' sake, when uh, we lost. I was also there. So, lost, but I never paid to go there. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> so, I, mean, well, how, I got paid to be there. Well, right, okay. Let's let's look at that. I mean, you could argue that for some people, that they argue that's one of Scotland's lowest points in the history of, their, of, of, of the Scottish Football Association, effectively. Yeah, yeah. How do you deal with that from a marketing point of view? That's a
1: very good question, because at that point I did start questioning <laughs> how you do it, because even after... So you go back to that quickly, you go back to that Lithuania campaign, you know, the what I always, you know, had in my head is, you know, the, the hope is what is in the DNA of a Scotland fan. You know, you, you, you get your your core group. So we probably go into that, you know, group where, you know, we'll, we've, we've been there, we go to the camp, uh, the home games, we go to as many away games as you can, you know, that eternal belief that we're going to do it one day, we're going to do it one day is there. Then you get those on the sort of periphery of it, you know, that will be there for the good times that maybe drift. And then you've got the ones even further out that are only there for the good times and yeah. the major tournaments. But, day to day or month to month they're not really, oh is that Scotland lost again, uh, typical, you know, always Scotland losing. So when you have the campaign like the Lithuania one, you realise that you've got to get uh, all the fundamentals and the foundations in place so that when the, thing, the good times are good the, the infrastructure's there and you're going to go and you're going to go when the shit is hitting the fan you're just hoping that So our job is really build the hope and then <laughs> the whatever impending doom happens because it's scotland you just hope (laughs) that people's belief doesn't go back to rock bottom that you've done enough whether it's through the content we've been doing the messaging the the value that we're trying to make people feel that it doesn't go all the way back down but you know you've got to build it up and it's a sort of a process and when the highs are high you've got to ride them you know Mm -hmm. that um so you know and it's funny because for those who are unfamiliar with what happened in that Lithuania campaign, as I said, we went away to Slovakia, lost 3-0, lost 3-0 in England, 15,000 people coming to the next game in, in March, and we knew we pretty much needed to win just about every single game from there on in and hope things went our way, and we nearly did it. We nearly yeah. got into a playoff at the end of it. We won the lap at halftime in the final game, um, and we needed to win that game away to Slovenia. Fast forward to Kazakhstan and it was a whole different set of circumstances. It, it, it was a weird time with Scotland. There had been the whole Michael O'Neill saga, you yeah, know, of right. of trying to get him in the door, and ultimately, you know, cost Stuart Reagan his job. And the Stuart Reagan had a lot of his uh, detractors and stuff like that. But uh, as a person that I dealt with on a day to day basis, you know, I I can't speak highly enough of him because you know, yes, you can disagree with decisions that have been made and, and, and Scottish football as a whole, And you know, the, as much as I think uh, certain individuals and in certain role, high-profile roles in Scotland, uh, Scottish football governance c- could do maybe better or whatever yeah. else, they really are just the fall guy for decisions that go on behind the, 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 the scenes and stuff like that. And Stuart is a guy that would stop and know the name of every single employee he walked past right. in the corridor, which... I think say, it says a lot about somebody. Yeah, sure. Anyway, so he loses his job and, he, you know, you look at it and you go, right, right who's going to come in? So there's names getting banded about. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think I truly believed it was going to be Alex McLeish. And, and the next thing you know, you know, he, he gets appointed for a second time. His record the first time around was sensational you know when you look at it in the yeah. cold like a day so you you've got to hang on to that and you know we did a lot of content around that and the belief that you know if you don't believe as somebody working in that organization with that team that you're going to do it how do you expect others to, to, to believe that so you know you go in and we have that um you know Nations League campaign yeah. you know that ultimately ends well um yeah. which which is great and then you go into the qualifying and you know 17 degrees outside and the, the days building up to, to that game and before you know it you're you're 2-0 down you're 3-0 down and away to Kazakhstan and you're going wow right how uh, uh, from our point of view how how do we we go back you know I wrote, I was doing the live tweeting that day that I uh, I have a tweet that was getting circulated for a long time after it was Kazakhstan or going or chasing a fourth. Oh, you know, it, it was the probably it summed up where we were, you know. It, it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you go away the next game after that fleet of San Marino, we went 2-0. At that point, deep down you knew the writings on the wall. Um and you know the having sat there in San Marino and heard the fans even at 2 0 lap yeah. shout. Fuck the SFA and you know, you're sitting there <laughs> in your in, the, in the, the the tracksuit and and whatever else. And by that point you're going right, what what is it? We have to start looking at the future and, and you know, not that you're privy to what conversations no. and decisions are being made, but I think there was just that air of inevitability at that point. Had there not been that air of inevitability, then you know, if yeah, it would have been a whole different thing. And, and, and how we go about, you know, rallying the troops, so to speak, yeah. uh, would have been a whole different ballgame. But in the end, it was a case of uh, that decision was made not that long after. And then you're going in and going, right, new manager, new opportunity. There was a lot of feel good with, with Steve Clark, with what he had done at Kilmarnock. Um, and that was in the. So I think the, the Kazakhstan Samarino was in the March, but in May at the end of the season, that was Steve Clark in the role. So, again, that that allowed for a different tact and a different opportunity to say, you know, this is starting a and this time, you know, it it, it means business and whatever else, you know, that, you know, he had a a campaign that was, we we knew we had the playoff, basically, is what everybody thought, we've got this playoff and that's what you hang on to. Yeah. You know, we've got this playoff, we've got this opportunity and, you know, things work out in that night in belgrade well forever not that yeah. i was there but yeah. i can tell you exactly where i was and what i was doing and you know dining out on that for three days after on the channels and stuff like that but yeah i think that that's where you you have to look at what's coming up and, and what what can you hang your heart on
0: yeah i mean the, the the story of how it came we came back from that was was incredible to get to the tournament and then of course as we've already mentioned. You get to your first ever tournament that you've been at since 1998 it's a year later and the problem we've got is there's no supporters there so your job then i mean i can remember scotland the whole the whole country was buzzing as you know it can be you know we we all know that if scotland as you've already said if scotland get the ball rolling the whole country the, the whole country will be behind scotland so, how difficult is it then to, have to try and keep the whole country engaged and unified and all together when they're not able to even well, a select few are able to get to the games and watch them?
1: Yeah, no, it's a it's a great point because that's what I mean. It's what happened. It, it was a kind of a perfect story when we qualified because literally there was no well. I think there was a couple that managed getting into different guises yeah. in, in in Belgrade, <laughs> but. For the most part, pubs weren't even open. Yeah. You know, yeah. everybody was at home. So, you know, you look at it from a selfish, you know, head of digital at the Scottish FA point of view, everybody's eyeballs are on their screens, like second screens, TV. So they had nothing else but just to take in all the content that yeah. we were putting out and stuff like that. And that was great. And then you look at it going, right, this is a, a when you're qualifying, you know, it, I had planned that we were going to qualify, but, you know, you, ha- you have to be optimistic. Now I was actually, I genuinely believed we were. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, I can't be quite pessimistic with Scotland and stuff like that, but, you know, I, I was fully on the we're qualifying bus and, um, you know, putting the plans in place. So knew that once we qualified, we only had, you know, three months really uh, no sorry qualified in November we, we knew we had that sort of seven months yeah. to, to, to the tournament but really you're, you're looking at you've only got four five months till squads announced and then you've got you've got um, qualifying campaign that's starting um, yeah. ahead of the Euros in, in the March which is only three four months away so you look at all the opportunities that you've got and, and, and one of the big things wanted to do was you know, Scotland qualifying after that long it was such a major, major thing. And as you said, not everybody's going to be there. So what we are, uh, you know, we wanted to do was make the whole of Scotland feel like they're part of it. Yeah. And we realised that you know, you we were making contingency plans on going right. This happens if everybody can go in the stadium, this happens if everybody can go to the pub. This happens if everything you know you can. not Because we, we had a Scotland HQ that we set up at Drygate in um in, in Glasgow City Centre because you know you wanted a second bit that it goes. The plan was actually to have um mini Scotland official HQs all around the country. Yeah. So every town or city would have a pub that was we would brand up as the HQ and have people that so you could go in and you knew you knew that was what it was going to be and so again feeling part of it. The squad announcement was very much you know we used twenty six different Scottish illustrators um, wow. to to do the illustrations for the squad announcement. You've got you know the all, all elements of the music that comes into it. you your, your squad announcement video was, was you know elements taken from across the whole country. Everything that we did and wanted to do we wanted to make sure that this wasn't yes it was happening in Hamden which if you look at it as well for the f- last three major tournaments the men's qualified for Euro 96 England yeah. France 98 and then Scotland and England Yeah. so you know you, we wanted to make it feel like this was a, a Scotland wide thing and, and that's really by doing the Scotland HQ daily live morning shows again I was doing it we did a 10 hour um, you know, show that the guys did in in uh, Drygate, uh, Scotland. HQ, yeah. Lewis Irons hosted it, and you know, uh, during the Euros, Gordon Smart was hosting it. And so again, bringing the elements of loads of parts, different uh, parts of Scottish culture, and and people that things that people can relate to and do it. And yeah, you know, you you have the moments like you know, the, the nil-nil win that we had at Wembley, <laughs> as everybody call it, or the English call it. But, um, you know, those moments, I remember being out in Glasgow City Centre, you know, I, I'd finished up at, at, long story, but I ended up being offered another job before the for the Euros, uh, not long before it. And I um, remember being out as a fan in Glasgow City Centre and, and the buzz around the place, oh, yes. thinking that we were going to get out a group, Yeah. you know, and, um, uh, it, it was brilliant. And it just goes to show th- those moments. You know that's what always looked to ha- uh, sort of capitalize on and harness because the you know when we Lee Griffith scores that um, second free kick against England, that moment in time, oh, forget know. what happened. You know, two minutes later, <laughs> we created a video that lasted longer than our lead. Yes, um, with all the fan reactions <laughs> on really it. I remember. We did yeah. the same for, for for Belgrade when we. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the penalty shootout and David Marshall save, and using what it means you know, content is the big driver for a lot of this. Is, is showing what it means to everybody and, and that everybody's on the same bus and, you know, using other platforms and podcasts and, and people to just come on that journey because that's what, we didn't want it to be a Scottish FA thing. We didn't want it to be a, just a Scotland national team mm. thing as in those that were in and around the national team. We didn't want it just to be a Glasgow thing. You know, it had to be I think, for everybody that could feel part of it in a, their own special way.
0: And, I mean, how easy is it when something like um, Yes Sir, I Can Boogie just falls on uh, your lap? <laughs> it, it's a, you mean you must be sick of that song now? Nah, you think. You think. <laughs> I know
1: some people that are, I'm not. Nah. I, I won't lie, I'm not. My nah. three-year-old, it's one of our favourite songs. Yeah, so it just goes, goes to yeah. show. <laughs> um, you know, it just goes, I think, Scotland and music um, as a country go hand in hand. I think... The, uh, just a, a crazy set of circumstances because it was funny when Andrew Considine was first called up to the squad I remember the boy that sat next to me in the office he was like oh, should we play this pre-match you know yes or I can boogie and I remember going nah because I was I was had a lot. I was doing a lot with the playlists at the time and I was like yeah. ah, I'm not sure because I, I wasn't sure how Andrew Considine felt about it <laughs> yeah. um, so I was very hesitant about that but I Obviously, at the same time, the open goal boys have gone absolutely big on it. <laughs> then you see Kieran Tierney's got it on as uh, at the end of the match. And then from there, it's just, right, we're we're jumping on this. Um, and you've got to leverage that sort of stuff. And oh. you look at the stats, like the Spotify and radio airtime for yes or I Can Boogie after, I think it's like November the 12th to like November the 14th, twenty twenty is crazy like i think we made baccarat at at
0: that time a lot of money as a country i bet well i mean i want to move on just very quickly because as well as football you've worked in other sports and i want to know about sort of transitioning and or, or even like moving in between different sports and what sort of trends you can take with you or what other things and, and if there's any lessons that you've learned from i mean you've mentioned about when you were down in australia and stuff like that but you've worked you worked with the rna in the open um so what, what was that like to work for such a big big monster of our organization in terms of globalized golf uh yeah. for that
1: yeah it's an interesting. when i did that as a as part of my freelance work and it w- was brought in um over a few months with, with them and really looking at the um sort of fan journey online mm-hmm. fan journey with them especially around website and um app and, and ticket buying hospitality buying you know phenomenal like I've, I'm, a, I'm a golf fan so the chance to work on, yeah. on these things like being a Scotland fan and being pitch side at Hamden is a privilege you know, mm-hmm. you know being able to work on the Open was a bit of a privilege as well and mm-hmm. very thankful for that opportunity and it, it, it's great because it it also opens your eyes to how other people work and what's important to other other people and um, you know what's not and lessons you take from from what you've been doing that can apply to um, them and you take lessons away from it as well and you know they've here now fast forward 12 months and IMG are involved massively and they've expanded a lot and, and the direction they're going in is very exciting for them and and um, there's going to be a lot of good stuff coming coming out from the Open and um, the, the wider team there. But yeah, I think seeing... It, it, goes, it goes back to what I was saying a, bit, a little bit about Scotland, funny enough. You know, you've got that core fan. So yeah. for the golf fans, you've got those core golf fans who are watching the PGA on Sky Sports every, every week. You know, you've got the... Um, then you've got you know your, your more casual golf fan will dip in and out of it, but know what's going on, know the latest to who's who's on form and not. And then you've just got those the, the casual watcher that watches the majors, you know. And That's and me. when I say watching majors, they watch the Open and the Masters. Yeah. You know, not so much the US Open and, and PGA. And no disrespect to them. Um, and then and then they watch the Ryder Cup as well. And then you'll just have people that just like a major event and like to go into these sort of things, and um, so th- there's a bit of crossover in there, and it's understanding your audiences again. You know, then it's interesting because the opens a global thing. You know, I'm sure, I'm hope I'm not giving away any spoilers uh, and, and things I shouldn't be saying, but you know, when the opens in Scotland, the RNA see an increase in American ticket buyers. Right. Okay. You know, so you're. Cause it's a a thing that's on rotation as well. You're working in different towns. You're working in different with with potential different audiences. Mm -hmm. um, Especially if it's um, uh, if it's like an open at St Andrews. um, To be able to work on the hundred fiftieth as well was brilliant. Um, But yeah, it's there's crossover across all sports, obviously, but um, each one's nuanced in, in, in
0: its own own way. How difficult was it? I mean, I, the, the, the the Open was the PGA versus Live, and all these things that are going on. Now, there's such a, a... You could see some media groups and they were trying to build the narrative of, oh, there's going to be Live golfers here, there's going to be PGA golfers. Are we going to see Live versus PGA? And it, it's kind of been there, but it's not been there, if you know what I mean. Was it a difficult one to sell? Because, I mean... It, that captured the imagination of the not-so-golf fan, didn't it? I mean, I'll be honest, yeah. That you, you mentioned me, I'm the third golf fan that you mentioned there. I went to the Open in St Andrews, I watched the Masters, I watched the Ryder Cup, I'm yeah. watching the Open and going, who's that there? And I'm having to sort of look <laughs> at my programme and go, oh, that's so and never heard of them. Uh, you pick the players and, and obviously you go in the last day or the second last day, you know guys to be watching, you know what you're but there. But I must admit, from a from that point of view, that live versus... PGA angle. You were thinking, are we going to find? Are we going to see a bit of needle? Our players going to get booed? Is it going to add a bit yeah. of spice to it? Was that for you a difficult part? Because it's a great story to sell to get people on board. But at the same time, you've got to watch for the core values of the organisation that you're working for. Yeah, I think yeah. that I think the Open were in
1: a fortunate position. They didn't have to even you know yeah. muddy the water with with that stuff. You know they the prestige of of it being the open, the hundred and fifty of open at the time and you know, the, the players that are playing in it, they they're kinda in that neutral position as well. It's not their tours. You know, they, they don't run it's not like um the PGA yeah which does the PGA tour. Um you know so it's it's yeah they they didn't have to worry about that. But then it's interesting because fast forward and there's probably been more eyes on it but then coupled with the, um, Full Swing on Netflix you know, all of a sudden that narrative came a lot more to the fore especially with Brooks Koepka doing as well as he did and, and Phil Mickelson mm. as well at the Masters then the live thing became a little bit more because it's the whole live narrative and that spikiness that was going on last year and people going right well what is it everybody's selling out on it uh, you know selling themselves to, to following the, the dollar basically and then you fast forward to this year and the first live tournament that i've probably heard in and about was the one in adelaide um, and yeah. b- because the australians don't get major golf down there that often you know i've, I've lived there and you know, I remember going to the Australian Open and Rory McIlroy was playing on it because the sponsors pretty much, I think, made him play. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, the crowds were out to, to watch him. But had Rory not been playing, that would have been a field that just Aussies were, yeah, you're great, you know, there's a lot of local talent and some internationals, but not, not on the scale of the names that they were saying. So I understand why it's popular, whether that works all the way around the world. Not necessarily. And, and that's maybe where Liv need to be a bit smarter or they already are, to be fair, yeah. is looking at those different markets. Yeah. Uh, and it goes back to your audience. That's you know, right. it goes back to understanding the audience. And if people in certain countries are starved of the big names and the stars, then people will naturally want to go and, and go and see them. Whereas you get go in a saturated market, then people will just can take it or
0: leave it. Yeah, no, that's interesting. You have mentioned about the, the sort of sports documentary side of things now. Wrexham, uh, welcome to Wrexham. You've seen the, the, the drive yeah. to survive, what it's done for Formula One. We're seeing golfing, getting into that now. Yeah. You've mentioned about the trends of sports fans, football fans, as you know, the next generations, do they have the attention span for an hour and a half, a game of football, or do they just want to watch it through the highlighted package? Now, the beauty of these documentaries is you can package it up and make it you know I know people who are Formula One fans through Netflix now yeah. what they don't want to know is they don't want to know who qualified and who won the Grand Prix because what they want to do is they want to wait for the next series where it could be condensed yeah. right the way down
1: I've heard that of people as well yeah yeah
0: I mean do you do you see this as a, a sort of way of going now in sport do you see that as being something that sports fans are becoming more and more used to so it's an actual easier way to to fully gain and 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 follow the narrative throughout a year without having to dip in and out every, we committed every weekend or every second weekend to watching it all the time.
1: I think for the most part, Drive to Survive is a unique case. Right. I th- I, I think everybody's tried to get in on the documentary side of things yeah. and the sports documentary, and you know, for every, you know, um, Last Dance, Drive to Survive, there is many many more that you've not seen mm. heard of or they've just been they're too fluffy or, or whatever else i'm a big football fan i've not watched like the event one i've not no. watched you know because there's just so many out there so you end up picking and choosing um, but yeah look i think when it, when it works my god you know drive to survive has done wonders for the sport of formula one Whether it's people, and that's the only way that they're engaging with Formula 1, they're engaging with Formula 1. For the others that are now watching races that never watched races before, brilliant. You know, for for them, um, golf, the full swing's been well-received. Is it going to drive as many golf fans to watch PGA Tour tournaments? No. You know, it's not going to on the same level, but it gives that opportunity for the majors and, and, and the other ones that people will probably go and watch a little bit more. Football, yeah, Look, like the, the Wrexham one in itself is a a whole, a whole narrative and story of what, you know, it's, it's funny, everybody usually is a bit sceptical and a bit off oh God, they've just bought their, the, the league and, and whatever else. But you see what it means to Wrexham and, and going down at that level, and you know how they've gone about it, and the international audience that they have attracted, and you know it's put the spotlight. You know, if I was the National League and the EFL, I'd be, they'll be absolutely delighted oh, at the moment in time because of the eyes on it and people following that story. Um, so it works, and you know the the whole sports documentary thing's great. Um, the problem is it's getting too saturated that there's so much out there that it's not going to work every time and Mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of sports teams or whoever it is need to taper expectations a little bit is that by doing a documentary it does not guarantee that you're going to be the next thing you're going to increase your your supporters or
0: your your followers tenfold yeah no it's it's an interesting point that and it's it is something we will will see a lot more of and starting to see already as you've said okay so we usually finish this off i'm putting you under the spot a little bit but i think i've maybe guessed what maybe one or two of them might be but if i was to ask you what do you think from your point of view three main fundamentals for communication what would you put them what would you what would you say they are
1: yeah i'd say don't assume everybody knows what you know you know, as I said, I think i touched on that at the, the start uh, or, or during the podcast is that just because you've got all the knowledge within the um, your organisation, your team or whatever else um, or, or whatever it may be, it doesn't mean that um, everybody else does. The second one is, uh, and I speak of this from, from a digital point of view, is um, but marketing in general, is don't rely on the one channel. You know, just because you tweet often doesn't mean everybody's seeing what you're, what you're talking about, you know, mm. and it's, um you, you need to use different channels. You need to own your own database. You need to um find the, all the sort of different ways. Go where your audience is, you know, and, and that's what you, what you need to, to do and, and don't expect them to come to you. It's like droning on too much. It, it's the ones I never understand you know, especially if you look at it from a sports point of view, the the smaller teams or the medium-sized teams that try to build their own platforms and expect everybody to go on to have logins and and sign up and all this paywall content, you know, it's small numbers of what who's going to do that. It goes back to your core fans. You you know, I understand that audience. And the third one is, is, you know, people, clear and concise you know i think it's very easy to you go waffle on about what it is and then you go oh by the way and this is where you can go and buy your tickets at the bottom or whatever it may be you know is be clear be concise and you know we live in an age where there's such information overload there's so much content out there you cut the fluff
0: yeah <laughs> there you go no, listen, Michael, that has been absolutely fantastic. I could sit and talk, well, we could probably talk for hours on on football, sports, marketing, all these kinds of we'll things. We'll grab a beer sometime, uh, mate.
1: We'll, uh, we'll go and uh, we'll, well, we'll chat it all.
0: Absolutely. And listen, I've really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, no worries, it's been man. great to hear some of these great stories and also some really, really good and valuable insights in there. So thank you so much. Nice. Appreciate that. Cheers.